Thank you for listening to this podcast that is part of the Fonts News Outlook 2021 series. During this annual event, we traditionally look ahead to a new investment year with investment experts and economists from home and abroad. Special attention is given to the outlook for the various important asset classes. My name is Maria Groen, and today's episode is going to be all about thematics. We'll try and answer some key questions. Which long-term trends are shaping the future? And what has been the impact of COVID on these trends? And how do we make sure that investment themes are durable? That is something we'll discuss with David Doherty, Investment Director Thematics at Schroeders. David, welcome. Great to have you. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Would you mind briefly introducing yourself, David? Yeah, hi, Mara. Uh, my name is David Doherty, and I'm the Investment Director at Schroeders, responsible for our global transformation range of thematic funds. Wonderful. Uh, David, let's maybe start talking about this unusual year and, and see how the pandemic has affected uh, thematic investing. So, so how have thematics been faring in the current environment and what changes have you seen happening over the course of 2020? Well, you're right. It has been a, an extraordinary year. And I think in terms of thematics, the areas which have seen um, a, a lot of interest in investment markets have been areas like healthcare innovation, for example, um, for obvious reasons. And then the disruption theme as, as we adapt to, to what's going on in the world. So that extends to changing lifestyles, smart manufacturing areas like that. Um, but I think what's been very uh, telling is it's made us think about existential matters as well as the healthcare crisis. So things like climate change and energy transition, I think, has been very much on um, investors' minds. Yeah. Thanks, David. Maybe let's dive into some of those themes that you mentioned just a bit more. Uh, let's start off with healthcare, because now it looks that we have a vaccine or maybe even we have multiple uh, vaccines. Do you think that healthcare remains interesting in the long term? Well, you're right. Abs- tremendous news that we've we've made progress on, on vaccines. So obviously very exciting. I guess if we'd, we'd spoken before the pandemic, I'd have highlighted the, the drivers for, for healthcare innovation. And they'd have been things like demographics, cost pressures that we see in the in the healthcare system, and also the ability to advance scientifically through innovation. And I think in many ways, the pandemic has underscored the importance of all of those. So from the demographic perspective, it's been the the older parts of our population who've suffered more. The cost pressures have been have been obvious. Um, All of our governments have been struggling with that. But the scientific advances, we've seen them being mobilised. You touched on that a minute ago with all of the vaccines. So I think that healthcare innovation theme has been strengthened by the tragedy of what we've seen. But I think going forward, and to come directly to your point about what happens next, I think governments and populations have realised the importance of the necessity of good healthcare provision to prepare for events like that in the future, but also more generally to, to show how important it is to harness technology to healthcare improvements. So things like targeted treatments using uh, gene technology, for example, um, using robots for, for med tech, perhaps, and then also being being far more efficient in the way that we deliver healthcare. So that might be through things like telehealth, through you know not not going to the doctor but but talking to them um, over over what we're doing now on, on on a Zoom call or whatever. So I think the healthcare trend has been underwritten by COVID, um, but I think it's strengthened going forward even after a vaccine. Yeah, 
Right, right. And and another one you mentioned, uh, energy transition and climate change. Do those teams still, are they still as urgent as they were or not not that much front of mind? Yeah, interesting. I think when the, the pandemic broke out, um, clearly COVID-19 knocked energy transition, climate change issues from the front page temporarily. But I think what happened was we all started to observe the different ways that we could do business without necessarily jumping on planes or, or driving to places. So that made us remind ourselves of that longer term kind of imperative. We, we, we got used to, to doing things in a different way. So I think that made us feel that we could enable um, the solution to climate change more easily. So I suspect what has, what has happened is for climate change as a, as a broad theme, Companies are now far better at trying to harness their resources to mitigate and adapt to climate change. And then as far as the energy transition piece, which is is obviously a response to climate change, that whole value chain from the the wind farm to the smart meter in in your house, um, the desire for investment there is enormous. And I think what governments are doing in order to pump prime our economies to get us out of the problems that COVID-19 has caused economically, they're actually channeling investment into areas like energy transition. And even the big oil companies are investing in that area too. Yeah. So it's going to be front of mind, like you say, going forward. Definitely. Um, Another one you mentioned, consumer behavior, which has obviously changed quite a lot uh, during the pandemic. Do you think it it has changed forever? Again, an, an interesting one. I think the what it's done is we've all discovered new ways to to work from home, to to buy from home, and and to play from home. So you know, on that whole sort of the the, the entertainment piece, we've all been streaming far more. We've been you know exercising at home. We've been using social media and areas like that. Um, we've been binge watching Netflix and and other streaming channels. So what happens next? I think in many cases the, these behavioural accelerations that we've seen with COVID-19 are part of a long-term theme anyway. So if you take something like streaming, I think it is difficult for the terrestrial channels to fight back from that. Um, And I think that trend continues. I mean, for other people, there is a a once and for all change. Those who are late adapters to shopping from home, for example, they were made to shop from home by, by the pandemic. And I think it's very unlikely that they'll stop doing that. So I think the runway for a lot of the areas that we've been seeing um, are, are, will will continue um, into the future. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. for example, you know, in in South Korea, I think the um, the the percentage of um, commerce that is take the, of retail that's taken part from e-commerce is thirty percent. Um, it's it's about half that in the US, and in yeah. India, I think it's about five percent. So there's a very big runway still to come. Yeah, yeah. Now, some companies uh, were initially really winning uh, during the pandemic, but maybe not all of them were able to deliver to the bigger demand that they got. What do you see happening there? I think one of the things that has has happened with COVID-19 is is virtually every company has had some kind of shock, a supply side shock or, or demand shock. And I think they found that it's imperative to make sure that they have the information to be able to to respond to those kind of shocks in in the future. So a couple of companies in that in that e-commerce area, for example, um, they found it difficult to deliver on time. 
So I think what those kind of companies are going to want to do is to make sure that they have all the information at their disposal to make sure that that happens effectively um, in the future. So they'll be investing in things like data analytics, automation, to make all of their companies and their factories more efficient than they were. So again, I think that's a theme that existed anyway. Mm-hmm. And that was driven by the Internet of Things, for example, demographic pressures in terms of labor availability. But I think COVID-19 just accelerates that process. Right, right. So we spoke about a couple of themes. Are there any other ones that you are interested in in, in long term that you haven't mentioned? Yeah, I think the, the, the disruption theme more broadly, I think, is an important one. And, and our feeling is that disruption is is a key part of, of virtually every industry. So companies come in and disrupt and in response, other companies innovate um, and they respond to that disruption. So there's a kind of cycle of disruption um, and innovation. So we're very interested in what happens in in all of those kind of circumstances where a disruptor comes in. Another company might be enabling that disruption and then the companies who've been affected then adapt and respond. And then I suppose the other area that's interesting is is in, in a, a trend like urbanization, the way that these other themes that, that I've been talking about are actually changing the way that we use land in cities. So we are um, investing in, in data centers for the digital economy. We're investing in retail warehouses. I think the patterns of land use, I think, is also another important theme. Mm, interesting, interesting. Um, let's maybe take just one step back and look a bit more at the core of thematic investing. Um, maybe let's start off by introducing your philosophy of thematic investing. Yeah, our philosophy really is, is based on this idea that the most durable investment themes are those where human ingenuity ignites innovation to address imbalances in the world. So we've talked about some of them already today, the imbalances between populations and resources, like climate change, for example, where energy transition is the response. Or then the imbalances between supply and demand in individual industries, where there might be unmet demand or inefficient supply. And companies like the ones we we talked about earlier, um, they come in, innovate and disrupt those industries. So we feel that if you look at thematic investing through that prism, then you can uh, you can identify the themes that have the longest life. Hmm. And out of curiosity, how do you then define which of those themes are important or not? Uh, absolutely. And that's that's the, the key question. And I, it, with by having this kind of overarching framework, we're very comfortable with rejecting many candidate themes um, in order to make sure that the themes we do accept are, are the ones that are more resilient. So we want them to meet that framework. We want them to be long lasting. So secular, not cic- cyclical. We want them to be persistent rather than faddy. Um, But even when that's been decided upon, you need to make sure that there is an investable universe of of companies where there is that opportunity. And of course, finally, the companies that you're investing must have the upside um, for the end client to make money out of those themes. Yeah, because that that was my next question. How do you then build your portfolios from these themes? Well, one of the the key areas is, is building universes of of opportunities that are neither too narrow nor too broad and we have a team um, at Schroeder's called the Data Insights team and they help us construct those universes. Now if they're too narrow that takes away the ability for the fund manager to navigate the theme as it plays out but if they're too broad that just takes away the precision that the end customer is looking for when they invest in a particular thematic fund. 
So that's key to us. But we also think it's important to be global and unconstrained in mindset because the themes are so pervasive and important. And that means to do that, we like to think about sub themes which we can invest in in order to make that journey through the theme. Hmm. Um, I also would like to know a bit more about uh, thematic investing and risk management because uh, I can imagine there might be a risk that a certain theme that you have defined does not materialize and, and how do you then deal with that risk? Well, I think on that, the, the general question of risk management, I, I think it's key to remember that these themes don't operate in, in vacuums. And the, the, there are a lot of things to think about that, that influence those themes. So we need to be very disciplined despite being global and unconstrained. Um, and, and it really is that point I mentioned before that we need to identify a theme. We then need to find a company that plays that theme. And then we need to work out whether the valuation is there or not. So we need to, like any other fund manager, understand the fundamental risks and the valuation risk that exists in, in any of those themes. But you, your, your question's a good one about in terms of it not materialising. We believe we've built a structure that makes that risk lower, um, but, it, but it could happen. Events could transpire to challenge a theme. That could happen. I think if that happens, we need to have patience to assess whether a theme is valid or not. We also need to um, undertake the, the exercise of working out whether or not there is still some support for the theme in a in a growth and evaluation perspective so it could happen but our dear hope our earnest hope is that by setting up that structure that reduces that risk the risk right right um another question on active uh, management do you think that active thematic portfolio managers are able better able to distinguish between the winners and the losers in that framework that you just mentioned well, well, well our belief is that active thematic investing is the best approach because if the themes are as powerful as we believe them to be then they they can't be constrained by index weightings for stocks sectors and regions and so in many ways the whole point of active investing is to discern the difference between the winners and the losers and i think often with an index approach then the end client the end investor will have exposure to the losers almost by definition because they have exposure to all of the companies in a particular theme And we believe that if we're active, that allows us to unearth opportunities and take um, good sized positions in even some of the smaller companies before they are recognized by the market. And by the same token, it stops us um, necessarily. If you follow an index, you can quite often be looking back historically at those companies that have been successful and are now big overweights um, in an index and potentially overpriced. So we think with an active approach, we can be flexible enough to access the companies as they come in to a particular universe. I remember, David, last time we spoke, you mentioned something that is called the history of the future. <laughs> Would you mind uh, repeating again what you mean by this? Yeah, for us, the, we're, we're all, I think, sometimes quite guilty of just thinking about today. And we accept, of course, that by invest, thematic investing is about the future. But one of the things we think is critical is to look back at the history of the future, because it can let us understand what themes um, we think will have the longest resilience into the future. So by looking at what has driven humanity through the centuries and indeed the millennia, we think that puts us in a very good position to look at what is going to matter 
in the future. So things like convenience have mattered for, for, has mattered for centuries. Um, healthcare has mattered. The quest for efficiency, the quest for survival. All of these things have mattered. We think if they've mattered in the past, matter today, um, they're very they likely to matter, matter in the future. future. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Um, and then maybe a final question. How do you make sure that the investment theme that you pick is durable? So are there any other ways to look at that? I think really, I'll just go back to the, the, the comments that I made earlier, really, that the, the durability, I think, depends on, on a couple of things. Following that overarching philosophy that I mentioned of ingenuity, igniting innovation to address imbalances, I think that's a very important point. And then in terms of the way we construct our portfolios to make sure that when we do it, we're long term, we're active and we're disciplined in mindset. So we think by having those kind of um, considerations, um, that will allow us to alight on themes um, which are indeed durable. David, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you for having me. I would like to thank today's guest, David Doherty, Investment Director Thematics at Schroeder's. This podcast about the outlook for thematics was brought to you by Schroeder's, and it was recorded as part of a series dedicated to the Fonts News Outlook event 2021. For more podcasts, please visit www.fontsevent.nl forward slash podcasts. And if you'd like to know more about investing in thematic equities, please check out the global transformation pages on the website of Schroeders, www.schroeders.nl. Schroeders, belangrijke informatie. De standpunten en meningen die in deze podcast opgenomen zijn, zijn die van David Doherty. En vertegenwoordigen niet noodzakelijkerwijs standpunten die worden geuit of weerspiegeld in andere communicatieuitingen, strategieën of fondsen van Schreuders. Deze podcast is uitsluitend bedoeld ter informatie. Het materiaal is niet bedoeld als een aanbod of een uitnodiging tot aankoop of verkoop van een financieel instrument.